It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests, and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Nicole Janetta. She runs Heritage Acres, a two-acre hobby farm in Pueblo West, Colorado. She and her husband raise chickens, guinea fowl, quails, and ducks. Nicole is also a treatment-free beekeeper, and she maintains an orchard and garden. And when she's not doing all of this, she has her own podcast and works for a community college. Welcome to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and usually when we have guests on the podcast, I've known them for years, but you and I are actually meeting right this minute. We are. A recorded <laughs> first interaction. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. So I'm really excited to learn about Heritage Acres and all that you do there. So can you describe the farm so our listeners can picture it while we're talking? Sure. So we're in southern Colorado. Um, it's kind of semi-arid here. So for full effect, it's not your typical picturesque beautiful farm your rolling hills of like Iowa or whatever that you see we're dry and brown and oh. flat <laughs> but, okay um but we've adapted our little plot of land and uh, tried to make it as green as possible with whatever natives and drought tolerant um, plants that we've been able to um, to find and get to survive the heat and the wind. Um, so we have a little peach orchard uh, and then um, probably a quarter acre garden and then just kind of sporadically placed little plots of, of um, like I said, drought tolerant and, and other plants that have we found to thrive, trees and things. Mm -hmm. And then we also have our birds, which is kind of the other big thing. So we have a pretty large chicken coop. Um, we also have another pen that we keep our game birds in. So our turkeys and our pheasants and our quail and one peahen. And then we have <laughs> our little duck pen um, that obviously has the ducks in it. And do you have any water on the property for any for any of the birds to hang out in, or is that just not part of the operation? No, we don't. Um, unfortunately, it's just so dry here. So we have like a little pond in our duck pen for them. Uh -huh. um, but because we don't have a good water source, we've kind of tried to adapt to the heat in other ways by providing shade and setting up misters if on the really hot days, give electrolytes and things like that. Got it. So there, there is a lot to unpack here. So I want to just back up a little to your, what's your hardiness zone and, and your season? Like what, what can you, you can grow from when to when? So as far as official zones, you know, they, they changed it recently. So I think we went from like a five B to a six A, if I remember okay. correctly. Okay. Um, I don't, probably follow that as well as I should. I just <laughs> decide I like something and I'm going to try to grow it regardless. Uh-huh. Um, but we usually plant right around the end of May, which my husband's birthday is in the last part of May. So pretty much we plant on my husband's birthday and then we grow until, you know, weather depending. It's hard to say these days. Um, but usually October-ish, we'll, we'll usually have to put things away by then because we don't have a greenhouse or anything like that so uh-huh so you close up shop in the garden and uh and so what are you growing right now so right now um we have our peach trees which this is the first year they've produced so i'm super excited about that 
Um, and then this being Pueblo, for those that have ever heard of the famous Pueblo chilies, of course, we have to grow those. Right. Um, <laughs> and we also grow some other varieties of chilies as well. Uh, lots of tomatoes. I grew my first loofah vine this year. <laughs> okay, God, tell me how you did it because I've been nursing a loofah plant honestly for two years and it never flowers at the same time as it produces fruit. So you have to tell me what your secret is. <laughs> well, I'm not, I think I might, maybe I just got lucky. I'm not sure. So I, I got my seeds from uh, Baker Creek uh -huh. and I actually started it inside in February and I think that that was actually a mistake because when I transplanted it, it spent probably two months just static. It didn't grow. It didn't. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of them died. I planted four and only one survived. So next year, I think I'm just going to plant it outside. But it kind of um, didn't do anything for a while. And then we had this weird rainy season that's unusual for us. And then the next thing you know, this thing is huge to the point that it spread almost into the the tree. And I actually <laughs> just noticed a couple, maybe four weeks ago, I have three, a whole three fruit on it, but they're growing very quickly. So I don't... They, that's cool. Yeah, I'm excited, but I don't know what the magical trick with it was because <laughs> I didn't okay. think I was going to get anything. Yeah, and, and I know I've had experiences with loofah just sitting there, not doing anything, and then dying. Mm. And so the, the I'm with you. I'm right with you on that. Um, but the I'm sorry, I sent us off on a total uh, <laughs> tangent. So what else are you growing right now? Um, another new one for this year, which I'm super excited about, is I planted some hops this year. Oh. Um, the hops were kind of a multifaceted approach. I was really predominantly interested in them because I wanted something fast growing, somewhat heat tolerant that would provide shade for our birds. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, I have them set up in raised beds and so that they'll vine onto our coops, onto the runs, I guess. And, oh, cool. And then I, I don't personally brew uh, my own beer, but then, you know, you could, or you could give the hops to somebody else, but also mostly, um, the chemicals. It, it produces a chemical. Is that what you're meaning? Yeah. So the hops, um, also kind of have the added benefit of, um, there's something in the pollen called hop beta acid. You can buy, um, a, a product from a lot of the bee suppliers called hop guard, and it just has that hop beta acid in it that's uh it's kind of you know concentrated form so my hope with growing the hops was that the bees would forge the pollen from them and kind of get exposed to that chemical and and then you know provide some mite benefit um mite treatment in the hive and then there's another chemical that i'm sure i'm going to mispronounce um lupulin maybe okay <laughs> and sure <laughs> sure something like that <laughs> and that has some um properties that are good for the chickens for their their gut microbe so oh, to me okay. hops seem like they provided lots of multifaceted benefits for our little farm um, and those have been super fun to grow and those climb a fence right so they actually have binds with a B instead of vines with a V. So oh. they need a, kind of a textured surface to climb on. 
So I have them in roughly two foot square boxes, raised boxes. And then um, from there, uh, rope, like sisal rope that uh-huh. goes from the box to the chicken coop. So that way they climb that a rope it's easy for them to grab onto and then once they get to the top of the run then they just kind of they don't need to grab onto anything so they just kind of grow and, and spread out and are the boxes isolated away from the chickens so they're not digging out the root system yes <laughs> so the <laughs> the boxes are outside of the run and then I also put up a little piece of the like two foot hardware cloth so they couldn't stick their heads through oh, and eat so the smart. hops <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm as we're recording this podcast, I'm looking out my window and one of my chickens has gotten out and she's just going to town digging up everything she wants to. I'm I like, believe oh, it. Oh man, that's what they do. That's yep. what chickens do. So <laughs> I also ended up picking up a couple of those um like pigeon spike strip things oh, that you see yeah. on buildings and I put those in the in the voids in the box to keep my chickens out of it. Oh, very cool. Okay. <laughs> These are neat tricks for, yeah. for home, home, uh, homesteaders who have chickens and gardens right next to each other. Yes. Very cool. So, uh, let's jump to the poultry operation since we've segued so nicely into chickens as it is. Uh, are you a hatchery or are you raising birds for meat? What's the story there? Well, originally my goal was to kind of raise, um, I'd say I, I was going down an olivager thing a project um but and olive eggers just for those who are listening and might not know what that is that is an a chicken who lays eggs that have the shell is olive colored yes they're beautiful and one yes, of, and it's my olive egger who's out running around right now that's oh, the naturally. one that, of course she's like that yes okay go on so that that was my original plan um but roosters are not permitted within our covenant and I just had one anyways because I'm a rebel and that's what I do um and everything was fine for a while but then there were some complaints so he now lives on a big farm out in the county so he we gave him to a friend so that he could run around and be loud and not bother anybody so now we just use our girls for um, eggs, pretty much. Okay. Just just consumption. Okay. And and that's for yourselves. Ourselves, and then you know we share them with coworkers and stuff. Got it. Okay. You're a natural beekeeper, and your website says that you prefer feral hives, as we do here at Garden Nerd, and we belong to this group of people called Honey Love. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that teaches people how to take care of feral hives. Now, I don't know about yours in Colorado, but our, our feral bees can be pretty, I won't say aggressive, but assertive. Uh, what are feral bees like in Colorado? You know, I've actually had really good luck with the bees. Some of, well, I can't, I can't say some of because I've only had feral bees, but mm-hmm. um, some of them are especially gentle. Some of them, I've actually only had one hive that has been persnickety. We'll go with uh-huh. that. Okay. And and I that was the result of the only queen bee that I have ever purchased because I was a brand new beekeeper and I wasn't comfortable with letting them raise their own queen. So uh, I've only purchased one bee in my entire life, and it was that queen. And her her girls are unpleasant, and I don't like to work with them. Oh. Um. But all of our other ferals have been 
really great. Um, you know, as far as personality, some of them, of course, are more gentle than others. Some of them I like working with more than others, but I wouldn't consider any of them aggressive or, you know, unpleasant to work with. Okay. And how, well, so are you wearing full gear when you work with them or are these the kind of bees you can just walk up to without anything on? (laughs) So I'm sure in theory, you could probably work them without a whole lot of protection, but, uh, the inner paramedic in me (laughs) (laughs) says just go for, for full coverage. So I wear a full suit. In fact, this year I just bought an ultra breeze suit, which has been a wonderful investment. Um, but I just, I'm not allergic, but I prefer to avoid stings as much as possible. Yeah. I've heard about those ultra, what are they called? Ultra, ultra breeze, breeze, ultra breeze suits. I've heard about them. Somebody recommended them to me when I got stung by uh, a colony that was being rather assertive, I will say, but then they swarmed and they calmed the heck down and now I don't need it. So there you go. problem solved. Yeah. So how do you winter your bees? So just a super quick overview of my hive setup. Um, I use 10 frame lengths and I have a screen bottom board that I keep open year round. And then um, I do two deeps. I am also foundationless. Um, okay. So As I, are we. Yeah. So I do two deeps and then that's their what they have to overwinter with. And then on top of the two deeps, I have a moisture quilt that I have a small one B width. Uh, it's actually three eighths of an inch, uh, upper entrance. And I put some wood shavings inside of that moisture quilt. And the moisture quilt also has some ventilation holes drilled on the side with screens. So the bees can't go in there. Um, and then the lids. So that way they, um, the winters here aren't awful. That's we're pretty dry here. We only average about 10 to 15% relative humidity. And then our winters, like it, it freezes here. Um, but we don't get like ridiculous winters. They're pretty mild. Um, so that, that seems to have worked well for them. They get, uh, ventilation. I've, I've only lost a couple hives in the winter and they were just weak ones going into the winter that I wasn't sure about anyways. Right. And the feral, that's the whole benefit of feral colonies is if they survive, they're stronger. Right. I I don't, I don't go out of my, I don't, this sounds brutal. I don't go (laughs) out of my way to help them if it's, if it's not something that is a mistake that I made. So if the late season swarm, you know, I'll, I'll feed them to make sure they have stores to get ready for winter. Um, but otherwise I kind of figure if they died, then I didn't want that strain anyways. Right. Now, do you wrap your, your hive with blankets over winter or anything? Nope. I don't do any of that. Okay. So it's, you're not North and northerly enough or cold enough to have to do that. No, we're only about not even two hours from New Mexico. If that kind of gives you a rough idea of where we're at. Yeah. Got it. And when do you harvest, honey? So I, I'm not lazy. I'm energy efficient. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I like the way you put that. Great. So I harvest once a year and usually around Labor Day weekend, um, first part of September, you know, of course every year is a little bit different, but, um, that's usually when I harvest, that's when I feel comfortable with the hive has enough stores for winter 
And I know that anything above and beyond is safe to take without me needing to feed them or provide them any overwinter feed. Right. Yeah. We harvest around kind of end of September here. So we're just, just gathering the equipment and all of that stuff now. So getting ready for the mess that comes with harvesting honey once a year. It's a labor of love. (laughs) It is. And the results are delicious. They are. Yeah. So it's great. Okay. So you have, you have an online shop on your website and an an eclectic assortment of goodies, including chicken nibbles. Can you talk about that for a minute? (laughs) Of course. So, uh, I always say funny name, but the perfect solution for poultry waters. Um, so those that have chickens are probably pretty familiar with the two biggest issues of nasty, dirty, filthy water or, um, frozen water in the winter. And Mm -hmm. these poultry nipples, um, they, they actually originated in Denmark for the, um, mink farmers. So it's, it's, um, but, but they came over in the U S and they got very popular with the poultry owners because they they really solve a lot of issues so imagine um like a a rabbit water bottle you know the with the ball in it the plastic water bottle with the stem with the ball well it works similar to that but these go on the side of a bucket though there's the vertical nipples that are really popular that that mount to the bottom of a bucket Mm -hmm. but these mount on the side so you can set the bucket on the ground you don't have to hang it oh clever yes Yes. and you know five gallon bucket weighs about 40 pounds yeah yeah so you can use these on any container i have them on like a 55 gallon drum but you can use juice containers anything and so the chicken will peck a little metal stem and it releases water so and it doesn't leak because it doesn't does the usually if it gets kind of tilted on its side the one that i have starts to leak Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. All right. That's really clever. And, yeah. And so you're selling those and they look, I don't know if they are, but they look metal. So they're actually, um, a commercial grade BPA free, uh, plastic with a stainless steel pin. Oh, now, okay. my quick little soapbox and then, and then I'll let it go <laughs> is, um, I'm actually the only distributor of the original ones that are made in Denmark. Every single other one that you will buy from any other seller, eBay, Amazon, anywhere else, they're all made in China. They recently got knocked off about six months ago. Oh, China. Dang it. Yes. (laughs) And you know the difference in quality between nice things made in Europe and things made in China. So I don't, of course, recommend the Chinese ones, not only for my own, you know, because I sell the original ones, but there's a lot of issues with the Chinese ones falling apart, breaking, and then you know, causing some uh, choking hazards or you lose all the water out of your container and you go away for the weekend and you come back to uh... dead chickens. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's no fun. That no. is no fun. Okay. Well, th- that's, that's an awesome little tool you've got there on your website and we will, we'll put links to that in the end. Uh, now I think uh, the thing that struck me the most and I'm jumping topics here, but the thing that struck me the most when I read your bio is that you are or were a paramedic and a firefighter. Yes. And that's that's a huge thing on top of this whole homesteading thing that you're doing. So uh, you did mention before we started recording that you're now 
medically retired, but what does a typical day look like for you with what you're doing now? You know, the funny thing is that's kind of why I started my business is when I, when I was working as a firefighter paramedic, we would have days that weren't as busy as others and you're locked up in a fire station and you can get kind of bored. So I said, Hey, I'll create a website to, to pass some time. And I didn't realize it was going to take all of my time, yes. but <laughs> it's been good. Um, so now I, I am medically retired. Uh, I was injured on the job with a shoulder injury. Mm. Um, so my day to day still has some challenges. I'm not completely healed yet. Um, but now I work for the local community college and I work at the hospital, um, in a simulation lab. So we have some really advanced high tech mannequins and we'll have nursing students or other health sciences students come to our facility and we can run different scenarios, different medical emergencies, and then they can treat the patients. They can start IVs and do all kinds of advanced treatments. And, um, and it's a really great learning tool in a safe environment. And it's, it's really, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, so when you said, when I asked you about fully suiting up, you said the paramedic in me, yes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely worth it. So that, um, yeah, you were, you were doing all kinds of dangerous things and beekeeping must be kind of a, a totally, well, I, I don't think of it as dangerous. I guess some people do, but when you're in it and you're in the suit, you're just with the bees, right? Absolutely. I find it very therapeutic. Um, I had days at the fire department that weren't, that weren't good. You know, I, I had situations that happened and, and experienced things that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And it was really nice to be able to have that outlet in things like the beehive where I could just go in and just wipe out the world around me and just be present and be in the moment and just enjoy that without thinking about, you know, the things that I saw yesterday or the stress of having to go to another 48 hour shift tomorrow. Or, um, I really kind of took working the hive as, as my little piece of solitude. It's like horticultural therapy and in a way, except that it's apiary therapy. Absolutely. (laughs) I just made that up. I'm sure there's a term for it professionally. (laughs) So, but you, you also teach CPR, right? I do. Um, I have a little philanthropic drive behind that, to be honest with you, (laughs) like the actual teaching the classes. I hate, I hate teaching it. It's boring, (laughs) but, Uh (laughs) but the, the experiences that I had on the fire department, I was on the fire department for just about 10 years. And we had so many instances where we would get to a cardiac arrest and whoever was on scene, whether it was a bystander or a family member, they were doing their best to do CPR, but they weren't doing it correctly. Oh. And if you think by the time somebody realizes that somebody is in cardiac arrest, they get the phone, they call 911, dispatch takes the information, dispatch pages us, we go en route, we get on scene, that's a good 5, 10, 15 yeah. minutes depending on where the person is. Brain death happens within 5 minutes of of lack of oxygen. Yeah. So if whoever's there with the patient can do high quality, proper CPR, then there's a chance 
a better chance at survival, at least brain survival, for that patient. And so I like teaching CPR just because I, I want everybody in my town to know how to do CPR. So if my dad <laughs> is at Walmart and he collapses, uh-huh. those people will do good CPR on my yeah. dad kind of thing. And um, CPR is easy. It's, it's not difficult, but people need to be taught how to do it correctly. Well, that is a, a noble endeavor that you've embarked upon to make sure people stay alive. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I've seen so many times where if CPR had been done properly, I really feel like somebody that didn't survive may have had a better outcome. Yeah. You're reminding me to go take a brush up class because I used to work at a school and even though I wasn't working with students, I still had to do my certification every year Mm -hmm. or two. And so that was 10 years where I was like, yeah, I got this, but I haven't since I left and started garden nerd. So you thank you for the reminder and, and tip to everyone listening, go out and get your CPR uh, renewed if you haven't done it in a while. Absolutely. You know, you can watch YouTube and, and there's some good resources, but it's different when you're, when you take a class and you actually experience it, the fatigue and the positioning and how to actually properly do compressions. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that tip. And speaking of tips, yeah. it is tip time. Uh, do you have a favorite tip that you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience? Well, other than getting your CPR certification, <laughs> um, I think my favorite tip that doesn't really have much to do with gardening, but you could, you could, transition it into gardening as well would be just never give up and always push yourself beyond your comfort zone because it's when you push yourself beyond your familiarity and beyond beyond what you know is when the magic happens and when you really create exceptional memories and learn the most about yourself that's well said that really is uh creating exceptional memories and learn the most about yourself i think that's true in all things and certainly with gardening i think people if they fail and they give up they never get beyond that and they don't learn how to like the loofah we were talking about loofah (laughs) and i have failed miserably with loofah and i have this one out there right now that keeps flowering at the wrong time as the you know the male flowers open and then the females don't open for another two weeks and the flowers are gone by then it's like come on guys so you gotta keep trying Hang in there. Eventually, with little persistence, you'll you'll have the outcome that you're hoping for. That's a great tip. Thank you so much for sharing this this time with me, Nicole. And thank you for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Yeah. And how do people find you? Um, so I have, of course, my website. And um, I'm sure you'll put a link to it. Um, but I have my website, heritageacresmarket.com. I also have a Facebook and an Instagram. Both of those are at Heritage Acres Market and then my podcast, Backyard Bounty. Right. And I think we're going to do a podcast swap, aren't we? Yes, (laughs) we are. Excellent. All right, garden nerds, you'll find links to Nicole's website, heritageacresmarket.com on gardennerd.com this week. We'll also post links to Nicole's social media feeds and her podcast, Backyard Bounty. That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at gardennerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber, and you'll find us on Instagram and Twitter 
under Garden Nerd One, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!